Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about congenital cardiac conditions. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash congenital cardiac conditions or in the cardiothoracic surgery section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Several congenital heart defects may present for the first time or become worse in adulthood. The conditions we're going to cover here are atrial septal defects, ventricular septal defects and coarctation of the aorta. Other congenital heart conditions usually present and are managed in infancy or childhood. They require follow-up and monitoring but the defect is usually repaired by the time they're adults. These are discussed elsewhere in the paediatrics content and some examples are patent ductus arteriosus, tetralogy of fallow, Epstein's anomaly and transposition of the great arteries. An echocardiogram is the initial investigation of choice for diagnosing congenital heart defects. Let's start by talking about cyanotic heart disease. Congenital heart disease can be divided into two categories, cyanotic and acyanotic. Cyanosis occurs when deoxygenated blood enters the systemic circulation. Cyanotic heart disease occurs when blood can bypass the pulmonary circulation and the lungs so it doesn't become oxygenated. This occurs across a right-to-left shunt. A right-to-left shunt describes any defect that allows blood to flow from the right side of the heart where there's deoxygenated blood that's returning from the body to the left side of the heart where the blood is exiting the heart into the systemic circulation without travelling through the lungs to get oxygenated. So deoxygenated blood returns from the body, goes into the right side of the heart, straight through to the left side of the heart and into the systemic circulation. Heart defects that cause a right to left shunt and therefore cyanotic heart disease are ventricular septal defects, atrial septal defects, a patent ductus arteriosus and transposition of the great arteries. Patients with a ventricular septal defect, atrial septal defect or a patent ductus arteriosus are usually not cyanotic. This is because the pressure in the left side of the heart is much greater than the pressure in the right side of the heart. So blood will flow from the area of high pressure to the area of low pressure, from left to right. This prevents a right to left shunt. If the pulmonary pressure or the blood pressure in the lungs increases beyond the systemic pressure or the blood pressure in the body, blood will start to flow from the right side of the heart to the left side of the heart across the defect and this will result in cyanosis. This situation where the pulmonary pressure increases and causes a right to left shunt is called Eisenmenger syndrome. Let's talk about the complications. The key complications of congenital heart disease are heart failure, arrhythmias, endocarditis, stroke, pulmonary hypertension and Eisenmenger syndrome. Generally, the risks associated with congenital heart disease are much higher during pregnancy. Women with congenital heart defects need to be counselled by their specialist about the risks of pregnancy and they require careful monitoring throughout the pregnancy. Let's talk in more detail about atrial septal defects. 
An atrial septal defect is a defect or a hole in the septum or the wall between the two atria. This connects the right and the left atria, allowing blood to flow between them. The types of atrial septal defect from most to least common are a patent foramen ovale, where the foramen ovale fails to close, although this is not strictly classified as an atrial septal defect. Ostium secondum, where the septum secondum fails to fully close, leaving a hole in the wall, and ostium primum, which is where the septum primum fails to fully close, leaving a hole in the wall. And this tends to lead to an atrioventricular septal defect. An atrial septal defect leads to a shunt with blood moving between the two atria. Blood moves from the left atrium to the right atrium because the pressure in the left atrium is higher than the pressure in the right atrium. This means blood continues to flow to the pulmonary vessels and to the lungs to get oxygenated and the patient does not become cyanotic. However, the increased flow to the right side of the heart leads to right-sided overload and right heart strain. This right-sided overload can lead to right heart failure and pulmonary hypertension. Eventually, pulmonary hypertension can lead to Eisenmenger syndrome. This occurs because the pulmonary pressure exceeds the systemic pressure, causing the shunt to reverse and become a right-to-left shunt across the atrial septal defect. Blood flows from the right atrium into the left atrium, bypassing the lungs. And this results in the patient becoming cyanotic. Let's talk about the presentation of atrial septal defects. Atrial septal defects are often picked up on antenatal scans or newborn examinations. It may be asymptomatic in childhood and then present in adulthood with dyspnea or shortness of breath secondary to the pulmonary hypertension and the right-sided heart failure, stroke in the context of venous thromboembolism, and we'll talk in more detail about that shortly, or atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. A Tom tip for you, it's worth remembering atrial septal defects as a cause of stroke in patients with a DVT. Normally, when patients have a DVT and this becomes an embolus, the clot travels to the right side of the heart, enters the lungs and becomes a pulmonary embolism. In patients with an atrial septal defect, the clot can travel from the right atrium to the left atrium across the atrial septal defect. This means the clot can travel to the left ventricle, aorta and then up to the brain, causing a large stroke. An exam question may feature a patient with a DVT that develops a large stroke and the challenge is to identify that they've had a lifelong asymptomatic atrial septal defect. Atrial septal defects cause a mid-systolic crescendo-decrescendo murmur which is loudest at the upper left sternal border. They also feature a fixed split second heart sound. Splitting of the second heart sound can be normal with inspiration. However, a fixed split second heart sound means that the split does not change with inspiration and expiration. It's always there. This occurs in an atrial septal defect because blood is flowing from the left atrium into the right atrium across the atrial septal defect, increasing the volume of blood that the right ventricle has to empty before the pulmonary valve can close. Therefore, pulmonary valve closure is slightly delayed compared with aortic valve closure, 
and this does not vary with respiration. Interestingly, there's a possible link between migraine with aura and a patent foramen ovale. However, patients with migraine are not routinely screened for a patent foramen ovale. This is because the surgical management of patent foramen ovales carry risks and it's not clear whether treatment for a patent foramen ovale improves symptoms of recurrent migraines. Next, let's talk about the management of atrial septal defects. In cases where the atrial septal defect is small and asymptomatic, watching and waiting may be appropriate. Atrial septal defects can be corrected surgically with a percutaneous transvenous catheter closure via the femoral vein or with open heart surgery. Anticoagulants such as aspirin, warfarin or DOAX are used to reduce the risk of clots and strokes in adults with atrial septal defects. Next let's talk about ventricular septal defects. A ventricular septal defect is a hole in the septum or the wall between the two ventricles. This can vary in size from tiny to the entire septum forming one large ventricle. Congenital ventricular septal defects can occur in isolation but they're often associated with underlying genetic conditions such as Down syndrome and Turner syndrome. Ventricular septal defects can also develop after a myocardial infarction where there's damage to the ventricular septum due to ischemia. Similarly to atrial septal defects, ventricular septal defects usually feature a left-to-right shunt, so the patient is not cyanotic. Over time, this causes right-sided overload, right-sided failure and increased flow into the pulmonary vessels. Pulmonary hypertension may progress to a right-to-left shunt, resulting in cyanosis, which again is Eisenmenger syndrome. Let's talk about the presentation of ventricular septal defects. Often ventricular septal defects are initially asymptomatic and patients can present as late as adulthood. They may be picked up on antenatal scans or when a murmur is heard during the newborn baby checks. Patients with a ventricular septal defect typically have a pan-systolic murmur most prominently heard at the lower left sternal border in the third and fourth intercostal spaces. There may be an associated systolic thrill on palpation, which is where you can palpate a vibrating sensation from the turbulent blood flow during systolic contraction of the heart. A tom tip for you, when you hear a pan-systolic murmur, it's worth giving your top differential, but also mentioning the other possible causes of this murmur. The causes of a pan-systolic murmur are ventricular septal defect, mitral regurgitation and tricuspid regurgitation. Let's talk about management of ventricular septal defects. Ventricular septal defects can be corrected surgically using a transvenous catheter closure via the femoral vein or by open heart surgery. Patients with a ventricular septal defect are at an increased risk of infective endocarditis. Antibiotic prophylaxis should be considered during surgical procedures to reduce the risk of developing infective endocarditis. Next let's talk about coarctation of the aorta. Coarctation of the aorta is a congenital condition where there's a narrowing of the aortic arch, usually around the ductus arteriosus. 
The severity of coarctation or narrowing can vary from mild to severe. It's often associated with an underlying genetic condition, particularly Turner's syndrome. Coarctation of the aorta can reoccur later after previously being treated in childhood. Narrowing of the aorta reduces the pressure of blood flowing to the arteries that are distal to the narrowing. It increases the pressure in areas that are proximal to the narrowing, such as the heart and the three branches of the aortic arch, which are the brachiocephalic artery, the left common carotid, and the left subclavian arteries. Let's talk about the presentation of coarctation of the aorta. Coarctation may go undiagnosed until adulthood. Often the first sign in adulthood is hypertension or high blood pressure. On examination, there may be a systolic murmur that's heard below the left clavicle in the left infraclavicular area and below the left scapula on the back. Performing a four-limb blood pressure will reveal high blood pressure in the limbs that are supplied from arteries that branch off the aorta before the narrowing and a low blood pressure in limbs that branch off the aorta after the narrowing. Additional signs that may develop over time are a left ventricular heave due to left ventricular hypertrophy and left ventricular hypertrophy occurs due to increased resistance and having to work harder to pump blood through the narrowed aortic arch. An underdeveloped left arm where there's reduced blood flow to the left subclavian artery and underdeveloped legs due to reduced flow to the distal aorta and to the legs. CT angiography is an investigation that gives a detailed picture of the structure and the narrowing in coarctation of the aorta. Let's talk about management of coarctation of the aorta. The severity of coarctation varies between patients. In mild cases, patients can live symptom-free until adulthood without requiring surgical input. In severe cases, patients can require emergency surgery shortly after they're born. In adulthood, coarctation of the aorta can be treated with percutaneous balloon angioplasty with stretching of the stenosis, potentially with a stent inserted, or with open surgical repair. Patients also need medical management of hypertension. So thanks for listening to this episode on congenital cardiac conditions. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast, and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about pericardial effusion.